0: We're on to episode four of our eSports mini-series. We've covered the bookmaker, the community and events, the world of eSports data, and now it's time to speak to members of a professional eSports team. Joining me today are Graham and Jimmy from North. How are you both? Uh, I'm good, uh,
1: had a long day uh, preparing for the tournament we have tomorrow, but uh, very good. And yourself, Graham? Yeah. I'm. Also, also good uh currently
2: working from home so uh <laughs> Spids, every day is a, an interesting day but um yeah trying to trying to prepare for the upcoming tournaments and uh yeah everything's going good
0: <laughs> cool well I'm sure some people listening to this will be well aware of of who you both are and who who north is but I guess for those that don't know might be really new to eSports can you maybe tell us a little bit about the North, the organization, and then the, the two roles that you two hold within that?
1: Uh, if you take uh, North of organization, I take my role, but I can just start with my role first. Uh, I'm a coach for a CSCO team, which involves uh, like everything from uh, tactical stuff, working individual players, working with the team, yeah, I don't know how to say everything, but it's a lot of stuff and uh, you can compare to a coach in other sports, I would say. You have the same role, you're working with the players, working with team, tactical, but also mental stuff would help uh, with our performance coach that we have. Christian,
2: yeah, I think it's good to mention that you, uh, you know, you have the similar role as like uh, a team manager in football, for example. You know, you, you control uh, you know the direction of the tactical stuff and obviously the roster and everything else as well. Like it's uh, kind of
1: you know you kind of direct yeah. the team if that makes sense. It's so hard to come up with right. everything when you like every task you have. It's like, oh, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: but then but then when you get there on a day, it yeah. makes complete sense. But it <laughs> but trying to remember what you do every day is uh, is really tough. Um, yeah, so then it comes to me. Uh, I'm currently working as the uh, the head of esports operations. So yeah, where where Jimmy and and our performance manager, manager Christian, um, they focus on this kind of performance side of things. You know, the actual uh, the gameplay, the tactical elements. You know, the physical aspects of the game or out of the game at least. Uh, I focus on the organizational parts of things to you know making sure that. Um, you know, uh, not too relevant right now, but you know, all the travel, flights, hotels, uh, transport, food—you um, know, all that kind of stuff is handled. Um, I also handle sort of uh, back office things, you know, contractual stuff, uh, documentation, administration—you um, know, prize money, fines when necessary—you um, know, all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, looking into uh, you know new rosters um, in in different games. And you know, sort of keeping the um, the sporting side of the uh, the management um, basically. And what was the other question? Um, North as an organization. Um, so North as an organization was uh, formed in I think January two thousand seventeen. So we've just had uh, three years, uh, three and a bit years now. Um, it was mainly formed as a Danish Counter Strike roster, um, but since then expanded into into FIFA. And then more recently into uh, Apex Legends, um, I've only been with the, the team since uh, November last year, so November two thousand nineteen. Um, but the organisation obviously existed a long, long time before that. But there was certainly um, a huge shift in the in the management more recently. So I think we've um, I think we've got for well over half of the of the um organization is now uh, new new faces as of uh, like october or september last year so it's kind of almost a, a completely different organization from the one that existed uh, in the years before that um and yeah we're, we're sort of looking to to be scandinavia's biggest uh and, and brightest esports organization in 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 the future that's our kind of main goal right now
0: We've got two, sounds like two integral members of a, an already well-established team with what sounds like grand plans for the future. So I think we're set up well for a, a decent podcast today. If we, let's kind of start way back when, I don't know how long that might be for both of you, but if we look at kind of your, your history within esports, Jimmy, I'll start with you. When did, when did your, your esports journey begin and, and what were those, those early days like for you?
1: Ooh we need to go back maybe 20 years. I think, uh, I think when I got, I got introduced to CS 99, maybe early 2000 by my brother who, yeah. And we played it before we even got internet. So we played it locally and, uh, and if we fast forward maybe four, three, four years in the future, uh, my brother has become to play like in the top uh, level in Sweden in CS and I was a bit younger so I took after and starting to make my own teams with the uh, people I know and uh, then I like you just build a, build a bigger network and met better players and then you just leveled up, leveled up.
0: And, and, is it, and... Has it always been Counter-Strike for you?
1: always been Counter-Strike. I mean I've been playing a few games for fun but I've never put in like a lot of hours in it so uh, I I don't know it was something when I uh, I just started with CS and I just had a passion for it.
0: And what about yourself Graham is it is it as far back as, as Jimmy was it always the the structural organizational side but did you start off as that that fan player and things like that as well? Yeah, um, I'm, try- I'm trying to think now. I, I think, so I started my
2: my online gaming journey, at least. I, I played games uh, since as long as I can remember. I think my, my dad had me playing Quake 1 in like 1990 something, and it was terrifying, but I still remember the third level of it because you've got a grenade launcher and stuff. <laughs> but in terms of uh, esports, I, I started playing Call of Duty, the first one, on PC in like I think late late 2003, so I must have been like 12 years old, and I think from there I just kind of played the Call of Duties uh, until the end of like Call of Duty 4, which was in or like around 2007. Um, and I I, w- I wouldn't say I tried to go pro, but I I you know I played a lot and I played in teams, and that was kind of the thing I did. Um, But I used to watch lots of other esports at the time as well. I watched a lot of um, Counter-Strike Source and Counter-Strike 1.6 primarily, but also things like um, Quake and uh, Warcraft 3. So I kind of, I just had an interest in games, I think. Um, And then around about 2007 is when I started transitioning over to actually managing tournaments rather than trying to play in them. I think I realized that uh, I wasn't cut out to be a player at that point. Um, And then from 2007 until... Until 2017 or something, I was I was running um, running esports tournaments, um, mostly to begin with, sort of voluntarily, and then there was sort of basic kind of freelance. You know, we'll pay your expenses, and then um, and then I started full time uh, with ESL in in 2013 and moved over to to Germany, and then yeah, switched over to. Um, Switched over to, to Denmark and Copenhagen in uh, 2016, um, and then ran tournaments and operated teams uh, since then.
0: We had we had Marco referencing Quake Two in his podcast. We then had Mick referencing Quake Three in his, and you've just trumped them both, Graham, by by going back as as Quake One. So, congrats on that one. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> was the so it sounds like for both of you the the career path was always going to be in the esports industry and Jimmy was it was it for you did you did you go down the playing route when did the the coaching stuff really become sort of your your viable career option
1: oh uh, to be honest uh, when I I played professionally in older version of CS then I quit in 2010 and then I uh, I just went four years without like almost never touched CS and then I just uh, bought a new computer four years later and like, okay, I give it another shot. And uh, found out that my skill wasn't there as it were before, but I still had a good uh, understanding, a good feeling for the game and so I said like I'm just gonna play like for a year as long as I can to learn as much as possible about the new CS that had came out. and uh, then I would try to go
0: coach. And it, it's obvious that kind of since you guys were, were involved in playing or as Graham, you said, you started then organising the events, the the growth has just gone through the roof in terms of popularity. But I guess that that brings up the question of from, from your perspective as those fans, like why is, we can talk about Counter-Strike specifically, like why is Counter-Strike so popular? Why has it just kind of Why is it the growth been been astronomical over the last few years? Is there something that you can pinpoint within it that's that's been hidden away, and then over the last like decade or so, it's it's just exploded?
1: For me, I think the whole scene, like it's not only CS but CS, has been like it's been more professional. Everything is getting more professional. It looks better. The production is getting better, and the game itself. For me, I'm a bit biased. Or Quite a lot, <laughs> but uh, I would say it's the best esport game. But uh, that's my taste for it. I feel like, uh, yeah, even if you go out, you can be down 15 to 0 and you can turn it back because you maybe in other games like you can uh, get uh, too powerful, so it's hard to come back. And uh, but now, every round, like you reset, the only thing you need to do is economy, and that you can save for so i feel like it's had the tactical economy individual it has everything i want in a esport and
0: Graham, for you then if we we can kind of pull pull the question apart into two parts i guess is one as the fan what are kind of what are the biggest changes for you over the last decade and and then as a someone who's part of the event organisation side of things what have been the biggest changes on on that side
2: yeah i mean as a fan i think um i think the one thing that Counter Strike has that currently no other esport really has at the same level is is the feeling of suspense and hype every two minutes, right? You know, you can watch a League of Legends game or a Dota game and it can be a great game, but you know, there's only going to be like that kind of like those few team fights here and there, maybe towards the later, later end of the game that's actually going to be like get your heart racing, get the body pumping. But if you watch a game of Counter Strike, you know, almost every single round is going is to have those moments where it makes your heart kind of rush for a second. You know, there's going to be clutches, there's going to be one V ones, you know, there's going to be comebacks. There's all kinds of stuff. And that happens 30 times over like an hour <laughs> and it happens every two minutes. And to me, that's what makes Counter-Strike as a fan so exciting to watch. And I think that it's the transition from you know, when, when Twitch launched and then sort of, you know, really got popular with kind of like StarCraft early on and then League of Legends and then obviously Counter-Strike sort of got a bit more popular in towards 2012 and has worked on since then. Um, the fact that the game has gone from sort of being something that we like to talk about to something that we watch and actually you know, enjoy as an entertainment product and and the things that come around with that entertainment product, you know, the the... The, you know, streams back in the old days it used to just be two guys commentating from their bedrooms over Skype, you know, and now you've got this analysis desk, you've got the, you know, different commentary teams, you've got different perspectives on things. And I think that's, as a fan, is what really drives the, um, you know, you feel included, you feel like you, you really want to, to explore it more and be more, um, you know, involved in it. And that's a huge change for me.
0: What, what I was going to do was I think this is, this is one of the podcasts in this mini-series where we are going to hone in specifically on one title. We've, we've talked kind of quite generally on the other episode. So perhaps for the benefit of the listeners who don't know what Counter-Strike is, we're going to be using the term Counter-Strike, CSGO. We're, we're going to be talking about it a lot. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it up in the air for either one of you to answer, but uh, a 30-second, one-minute description on, on what the game actually is, how it works, before we go any further. Oof.
1: Uh, to do it in five minutes, but uh, let's try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say it's a team-based game. Your two teams, uh, attacker defenders, and your job as uh, the attacking team is to take uh one of the two sides on the map, and there are seven maps in the pool, and get the bomb down. And then uh, defenders are obviously gonna defend the sides for. 1 minute and 55 seconds. And uh, then you have smoke grenade, H grenade, molotovs, and flashbangs to yeah, help you either defend the site or get to the site. And then you have a lot of tactical stuff, individual stuff, everything that can happen in CS.
0: Well, um, one of the the things that obviously you two are the reason you're on this podcast is you are you're at that elite level of the the CS:GO scene with the the team that you work on. But if we've got people that are aspiring to to get into a professional organization or maybe a grassroots level organization that want to kind of develop and and progress, what would you say is the the most difficult thing or what do, what traits do people need to to break into the the professional scene
1: oh i think it's so so much but i i always believe like yeah no matter what talent you are you all can always have like you can work on your skill and i i, say, I think it's a lot of players that maybe are not as talented as others but they work harder and they can get into the top so I would say like talent, hard work, and also a good mindset and like really know what you want to do and give everything for it.
0: And I guess, Graham, if we're looking outside of the, obviously a lot of people will want to be the the players or the coach, but from a, an organization perspective, what, what things are required in like a modern day team that you think people could, could flourish in or people should focus on if they want to follow that career? Yeah,
2: I think it's really, really interesting, actually, how the dynamics of uh, the teams has changed a lot in more recent times. Um, In in the old days, you know, people who worked for teams typically used to be like, you know, some guy who was interested in sports, interested in the team. And they sort of said like you know i can do the marketing you know i can do the sales you know and they just go into those roles and these days things like that have have really changed um you know the the teams that i i know of and have worked with you know they all have you know people who come in from the outside with you know who are professional trained you know marketing sales those kind of roles you know they're not things that you can just jump into you know you need you know, an actual qualification or experience in those roles, which is something that's changed a lot in the in the more recent times, as sort of esports has professionalized and recognized the need to um, to increase their capabilities in this. But there still are some roles that I would say are more catered to um, things that you can learn as you go, um, things like. Uh, you know, being a, a, a tournament administrator, a tournament referee, those kind of things. That you know, there is no, there is no way you can go to learn those. So you have to do it as part of, you know, part of the job. Um, so that's kind of a good place for entry level people to to learn. Same kind of thing with uh, sort of player management and talent management. Um, they're places where you could go without much experience and and learn role as you as you kind of as you go but if you want to work for an esports organization these days um uh in a in a sort of a qualified role let's say then then you need to kind of have a qualification uh in in that kind of relevant field to make it to make it work
0: one of the things that that seems to be a common theme from the people that we've spoken to in there their respective organizations is the the passion for esports now is it is that kind of an essential part of working for an organization like north or or is there potential for for someone to maybe be blinded by their their esports fandom and kind of not pay attention to the the baseline like marketing principles if it's that kind of job or, or whatever it might be
2: I think, I think there's a, I think there's space for both. I think, you know, I, I've worked with people who, who have no interest in esports, but have worked in esports. And, you know, they, I think that everyone that has worked in the companies that I've worked in, they've all tried to understand, you know, they've, they've made an effort to try and watch and try and learn because it's their job that, you know, they want to try and, um, you know, f- understand what they're working with. But I wouldn't say it's an absolute necessity, but I think it definitely goes a long way to, you know, perhaps tailoring the work that you do more, um, more accurately to the, you know, to your target audience. Let's say, especially in the kind of the marketing and the and the social media kind of uh, space as well. You know, knowing your audience is is definitely
1: extremely valuable in that case. Uh, no, I was just thing. I also do think it depends on like what role you have. Because I think feel like some roles you might, like, it's maybe more stressful, it's more closer to the game. That it's kind of, I think it's, the more close you are to the game, I think you have the more passion you need. Like if you work in marketing and you're not, maybe you just follow the team and not the game, it's not maybe super important. But it could probably can help you, as Graham said, if you have a passion for it. But it's also like, it depends on what role I think you, you have. Yeah,
2: I mean, e- even in marketing, for example, you know, there's there's business to business marketing, and then there's also business to consumer. And I think in the consumer part, it's obviously a lot more important to, to sort of understand the esports audience. But business to business, you can definitely uh, you can definitely be that kind of you know the straightforward marketing person because that actually probably benefits you in that sense.
1: But what I've noticed from my experience, like most of people I've uh, come in contact with uh, through work they all like get some way of passionate about CS even if it's just maybe from when the team playing but it's also always some passion there and they get involved in the game in some way
0: so as as two people that clearly do have that that passion and have seen so much change and growth over the last couple of decades what what do you think? A lot of people kind of highlight the the positives, and I'm not saying these are negatives, but the the challenges that you think the industry has faced, or the the, the perhaps difficulties that have had to been worked through for for esports or, or CS specifically. Could you just maybe talk a little bit about some of those over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I would say first off, when it's uh, when it comes to the computers and technique, I would say like. It's always cheating, as in other sports, I would say it's a problem or was a problem. I think we have started to get a good uh, hold on it in the pro scene at least. Uh, casual scene, maybe not so much. And I would say what also have been worse before is like getting people to arenas, but it's also getting better. I feel like it's a lot of people coming to the bigger events. And hopefully in the future we can even fill up the smaller events. So I think those are the two I like, that I just think of uh, right off the bat. I don't know if you can think about anything, Graham. Yeah, I think I think
2: one of the things that's changed a lot recently is is the the television aspect of things, you know, and and trying to you know before we were kind of in the the amateur uh the amateur age of esports right and now you know we're trying to send our broadcasts to you know countless countries across the world i think i think i worked on a broadcast once that got broadcast in like 56 different territories all over the world and you know on live television and the the pressure and and the (laughs) the way you have to operate your business when you get to that kind of strict level of scheduling is is really tough. And I don't think we're quite there yet. I don't think if we I don't think we've decided if we're gonna be well, some people have, but I don't think Counter Strike especially has decided if it wants to be like tennis or if it wants to be like football. You know, football, you know you're gonna tune in at three o'clock on a on a Sunday, let's say, and you're gonna watch 90 minutes of football and, you know, you you sort of know the show in Counter-Strike you can tune in and you could tune in at that time and discover that the match before it has overrun by 2 hours and then it's like okay well, when's the match i want to watch I, I you know i set aside 3 hours to watch this match and it doesn't exist because it's going to be starting 2 hours later and and then the flip side of that is also that sometimes you can tune in and a match starts match, match is already finished by the time you start <laughs> because they 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 accelerated the schedule and and that's the kind of the tennis method, and I, I just don't know. It's it's something that we're exploring now, is how we manage that. But it's it's probably one of the things that we're struggling with, at least, uh, especially in Counter Strike, where the game length can vary so much. Especially when you get to kind of the best of threes, where you know a quick best of three can be over in an hour and a half, nearly two hours, and a long best of three can be four hours plus. <laughs> and how you manage that with a TV schedule and all these different broadcasters, and you know. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing pain, but it's a good growing pain to have,
0: I think. Well, I think there'd certainly be fans of, of both. And as you said, there's two very globally appealing sports there that kind of follow those two different formats. And I guess my question would then be, Jimmy, on the, the players' side of things, how does that feel if, if you don't know whether you're, you're going to be playing in, in one hour or three hours? Is that kind of something that's, that's difficult to handle as a, a coach or a player?
1: Yeah, it's uh, like you, you never want to be like, okay, uh, you you always get a time where you should be there. And uh, like, let's for say they have a three-map match, best of three before us. And you should be there so you are ready to play or ready to set up if they it only goes two maps. But then all of a sudden it goes with three maps and you're sitting there and waiting for one hour and then you kind of lose like... If you're sitting there, waiting then you just want to start a game. You can lose a bit of focus or maybe you just get a bit tired or whatever it is. So that's been a problem from the player's side, I would say. But it's also something a lot of tournaments are trying to fix is when it's best of three matches, they try to have a set time. And I think the more we go towards that I would think it's better for both both the teams and the viewers
0: right so let's let's take a bit of a deeper dive into North specifically as a as an organization and the the day-to-day life of what it's like to to be a professional team and to start with it would I'd like to start with the the players like what what does it take to be a professional CSGO player? What what skills are required? What kind of things do you look out for for an, an elite-level competitor in, in Counter-Strike?
1: Oh, I think uh, it can, depends kind of what, uh, what uh, you want in a team. But I would say you want uh, either a super smart guy that can read the game Or you want a really good mechanical, or you want a combination of both, I would say. But I would say, like, the two biggest attributes is when it comes to individual skill is like mechanics and how smart you are in game. And then you also need to be able to be a good team player, uh, to work well with others. And yeah. I don't know uh, how to go
0: further without going too deep well one of the one of the things I'd like to maybe ask is that from the the outside looking in it seems that and this is true for a lot of sports the element of of psychology is is often overlooked and even to just use the recent example that that Graham said there about like you don't sometimes you don't actually know when the match is going to start so it must be very hard to kind of mentally prepare yourself or constantly be ready for like action could begin now it could be an hour or so's time away so just how important is psychology for a for a professional esports player nowadays
1: i think it's super important uh like mindset mentality like i think when it comes down to performance and perform at the right time and then perform at the highest level i think the the mindset the mentality is always going to be super important it's going to kind of determine if you can play up to your maximum level or not. So let's say even if you're the best player in the world and skill-wise, but you can't handle the pressure in the big matches, then you're just an average player.
0: And I'm assuming, obviously, Jimmy, your job is to to focus on the actual performance of the team. So Graham, you might be be better placed to, to talk about kind of the the general day-to-day life of a professional CSGO player what are those logistics like is it a very kind of formatted like 9am 11am train then it's breakfast lunch dinner how, how do their days work from from like a, a normal a normal week in the life of a, a pro CSGO player
2: yeah, I think it's um, it's typically very structured. So we we have our we have our team calendar, and uh, that's something that me, Jimmy, and uh, performance manager Christian, we we manage uh, for the players. And basically, it it does have, as you sort of say, like uh, you know, eleven o'clock we start this, one o'clock we start this, one thirty we start this, and then two o'clock, you know, we do we do this. You know, it's very uh, it's very structured. And then within that, obviously, there's. Uh, lots of team talks, evaluations, which uh, Jimmy and Christian handle for the most part. And they obviously structure those out uh, within the times that they have. And then there's obviously, uh, there's practice matches which come in. And then, you know, for that's like a typical office day, I would say would be sort of uh, fitness in the morning, followed by, you know, a team talk, a get together to go through, you know, maybe evaluate something else and then, you know, plan for the current day. Then there's usually... Uh, lunch involved followed by practice and then evaluation at the end. That's like a typical office day for the, for the, for our team currently at least, and then, you know, we have match days, which are slightly different. We, we prepare beforehand differently, depending on whether we play the match at 12, whether we play the match at four or 6. PM, or I think we, we started, we started a match for the year. Pro League quite recently at half past 11 at night. And that was quite a rough, <laughs> um, pre. Pre game day because it's just so late that you uh, you spend all day <laughs> waiting, which is uh, not the best experience in the world. Um, yeah, it, it's it can vary quite a lot, but we're also quite flexible in that we you know we want to keep trying new different things and see what works and see what you know the players respond to well see what works well in in the performance side of things and sort of go from there
0: well the the phrase that really jumped out to me there was you you mentioned an office day i'm sure people listening to this might kind of think what e-sports office is it? so i'm right in thinking you guys operate out of a a facility that that all the players go to together to kind of practice and everything's done when possible within that facility
2: uh, yeah, so we, um, we have, uh, our office is based in, um, the national football stadium in, in Copenhagen for Denmark. It's also used by, uh, FC Copenhagen, the, the sports team who are one of our, um, one of our owners. So, uh, we have, uh, an office with all our administrative team, operational team, uh, you know, including all the marketing sales, social media, everyone's in there. Um, and then we also have, uh, rooms for the teams to play from so we have a, we have a fifa room where our fifa players uh, can get together and play and stream from and then we have the counter strike room where the counter strike team um, plays from i think on average we probably play play from there 3 3 to 4 days a week uh, on a typical week if we're if we're just at home you know not traveling to events obviously right now uh, things are very different and we spend a lot more time there than we typically would <laughs> because uh, we're actually playing all of our matches from there as well Um, but yeah, we, we have a lot of face hours with our players and we, we have a requirement that all of our players are able to, to be in the office every day. So all of them live in or around Copenhagen, um, at least for the Counter-Strike team that is, and also the FIFA team. Um, and we, we feel that works really well to get that kind of face time and to have the, um, you know, to have the, the sort of the humanized, you know, part of, uh, of the job at least rather than having people playing from online and traveling differently and things like that
0: and is that and jimmy this is i guess a question for you because you you would have been in that scene for for a while how long has it been the case i mean i don't know if still that that type of facility setup is is standard fare for professional esports teams but was it has it always been as organized as that or did it used to be people kind of dialing in from their their bedrooms to practice or whatever it might be
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, I've never had it uh, like this uh, to have a facility where the team meet uh, a few days a week to get that FaceTime, as Graham said. Before, in my previous teams I worked with, uh, it was that we practice a lot from home, everyone from their own apartment or house or whatever, and sometimes we had maybe a boot camp before a tournament where we meet for a week and just play a lot and get the FaceTime, but here it's kind of like you get like a little bit every week, and you can do so much more work face to face that you can't do online, and I feel it's great.
0: And it feels almost that the organisations like like North and, and other ones out there are kind of moving more towards a a traditional framework, should we say, for like a, a sports team. Is that is that right, uh, Graham? Is that how things work, and maybe how well the players are looked after and things like that?
2: Yeah, I'd say we're definitely trending towards um, towards the traditional sports team. I think we're learning a lot from the traditional sports at the moment, um, perhaps things that we should have known for a, a lot longer than <laughs> than we have before. Um, initially, I remember the, the first thing that people used to try and do, that there's been a, lots of variations of things that teams have done to, to try and increase performance in the past. Um the, the the oldest one would probably be the the boot camp where the team would travel to like one location and just play for a week or two weeks or you know as long as they could basically before a tournament to try and be in the best shape and some teams to this day still do that especially some of the uh the remote teams um and then teams tried the gaming house where they would have all the players live under the same roof and play under the same roof. And, uh, you know, cost wise, yeah, it, it made it easy. And, and for, you know, for, for these kids sometimes, you know, some of these people were 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, just moving out into this gaming house with, with their teammates, uh, you know, it was easy. But, you know, I th- <laughs> there's only so much time you can spend with your teammates who are your friends and your roommates. And you know, to 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 distance yourself with the with the in-game personal struggles, the out-of-game personal struggles, you know, the things that can annoy you, you know, living with people isn't for everyone. Um, it quickly became obvious that, that that wasn't the future that we needed. And that's where the the office, you know, the, the 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 single place where you work and then and then you live outside of that sort of came from there. And then, you know, we're learning from the sports side of things in that sense and then also with uh, you know bringing in the the physical trainers the nutritionists the sleep help you know that kind of stuff all comes from the sporting performance side of things to try and uh, elevate where we are now
0: one of the it seems like one of the differences you're kind of obviously describing like a, a base for the team and it just so happens that yours hap- is a a soccer stadium but for a lot of esports teams it seems like in a, a difference to like NFL or basketball is there's no there's no home stadium again there is there is for you guys but there isn't a home stadium to kind of perform from for events and it seems like I know you've mentioned that you're not doing a lot of it at the moment but the the travel is like a, a really big part of of life for a for an esports uh, professional CS:GO player. So just how much would a, a normal team or just how much does North travel around the world for events and how much time is spent through the air and and traveling to these different events and stuff like that?
2: I think I think that can it, it's it's changed a lot sort of up and down over the last few years. You know, back in let's say like 2014-15 when when Counter-Strike was still sort of in its in its growth phase. You know, teams weren't traveling much more than I'd say maybe just over once a month. There wasn't that many large tournaments that were held offline. But then I think when you get to like 2016, like mid 2016 to like the end of 2017, I think some players were spending you know 250 to 300 days maybe away Um, if they if they ended up in 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 kind of a weird scheduling. You know, where sometimes you sometimes when you're not, let's say, at the very top of the world rankings and you don't get pre invited to all the big events, you have to kind of fight your way through every event you can to to keep achieving something to keep working on the team and then sometimes that can sort of have like a domino effect way because you played these two other tournaments first and then you suddenly qualified to the big one and then you had another one another medium-sized tournament after that followed by another big one you can end up playing like five six events in a row and yeah the teams and the players and they just realized that that wasn't how they wanted to uh, <laughs> how they wanted to live their lives it was too much um, so these days, teams are a lot more uh, proactive with their scheduling, I would say, to try and alleviate or avoid having to be away you know, more than a week and a half or two weeks in one. I mean, the, the major would be the longest, uh, the longest time away, which is about two weeks. Um, but it has been in the past. It has been nearly three weeks away. And they've recently changed that to try and reduce it because it, it was too big of a, a footprint, too much time away. But yeah, teams teams these days probably spend 200 days away, I'd say. Maybe 150 to 200 days still, which is still quite a lot.
0: And that then, that begs the question, Jimmy, as someone who's so focused on performance, just how how much does the, the travel burden impact players in terms of their performance?
1: Uh, I've only been in the uh, north for a couple of months now, so I can't uh, speak from my experience in north. But uh, from previous teams, I noticed when we travel too much, I think there's a limit where you get to travel too much and you kind of like lose even the life you have at home and you're always at a new hotel. And I think you get like kind of overworked and you get, are in different time zones. And it's like that you never feel that you have time to learn at home. I think. Those combined together can create a big issue, especially if you start to struggle as a team. So let's say you play one tournament bad and then you have all these around you. Then it's hard to find your way back, I would say. And it's easy that it becomes a domino effect and just, it can destroy a team uh, with a bad performance and if it gets too much around it. I mean, most recently
2: we just had um, Alex from Vitality. Who just just uh, just left the team because he didn't he was struggling with the amount of travel that he was gonna have to do and had already done. And he just straight up said, I, I don't wanna be a professional Counter Strike player anymore at the top level because he just couldn't deal with the amount of travel that he was doing. It's uh you know, I, I respect him for making that decision for his health and for his mind and stuff, but it's uh, <laughs> it does show that it really can be uh, too much for some people.
0: And I think it's it's probably important to to maybe distinguish between the types of events that that North would be competing in because you've obviously got the the online events which which everyone knows and then you've also got the the LAN events which are the LAN based ones which I'm assuming you're you're obviously having to travel to and things like that so Jimmy another question for you would be what is the as a coach or as a player what's the difference between playing online and LAN and is there do players perform better in any kind of instance of that is there a preference from a player perspective
1: uh i think it's uh, has two aspects uh one is when you are uh at home and playing online i think you're more comfortable and you can play more relaxed but that can also go against you i would say if you be, play a big match from home let's like we have now in this uh Uh, hard times I would say like to play like a big ESL Pro League tournament from your bedroom it's like I think it can be hard to get that excited from it when you're sitting in your bedroom and you're playing like a really big tournament and when you you go to a big uh, venue and play a tournament then you get all the nerves you get more pressure people they're watching it's you get the whole are- the whole arena environment that, that can affect you. So,
0: yeah, I would say that. Again, it's probably, you can't really, shouldn't have generalized the question, but from your point of view, do you see, are there some individuals that may be better suited to, to playing online? And there are some that you mentioned, the, the idea of pressure and, and stuff like that, that, that some maybe thrive under the pressure.
1: Uh, of course, I think it's, to go in uh, like in particular players but I think all of the top players in different levels can play under pressure otherwise they wouldn't be top players but I would say like uh, I think newcomers to the top scene would benefit from playing online I think because they're new to this uh, maybe the top scene and they get to play against the best teams in the world online and be more relaxed and get used to it and i would say more experienced players would be benefiting playing from an arena where they've been before and also get used to playing under that pressure
0: and one of the one of the things I, cuz i mentioned earlier about not having this this base or a home stadium and and anyone that that bets or follows soccer or nfl or anything like that is aware of what we what we'd call home field advantage and obviously the the benefits of kind of familiarity with your surroundings now that that must exist, I guess, in in esports to a certain degree. So do do players kind of look forward to those events on home soil or or could it be that that North have fans all over the world and therefore any any global event could give you that buzz of the fans kind of cheering you on and stuff like that?
1: I never felt like you have a home field advantage. Maybe if you have a bigger fan base at home. But it's not usually like I've been, never been to a big event in Denmark and Sweden have not had like they don't in Sweden I've been to a few but they don't uh, get that big audiences as maybe like Germany or Poland or Russia that gets uh, a lot of people attending the events so for me I would say like yes the big events are good are, like people want to play the big events and I feel like that's where you want to be and uh, I don't feel that home feel advantage is anything in esports.
0: Okay, what we what we what we've done on these podcasts is we've to to wrap up we've kind of looked a little bit ahead to the future and the benefit of this one is we've got we've got two individuals that might have different perspectives on on what they want, what they want for the future, or what it might have in store. So I'm going to go back to you, Jimmy, and just say, as a maybe the representative of the the players from a performance perspective, and on on that level, where do you see the the future of esports heading, and and what do you want to change in the in the next couple of years?
1: I think esports is just gonna be bigger and bigger. What I feel now is like a lot of the that follow esports now is maybe from uh, children up to maybe 40 years old. And I think that the, the 40 years old is just gonna go higher and higher. And it's gonna be more and more people following esports. So in that aspect, I think the future for esports is bright. And, and what I would like for to esports to change, is probably as we touched on before, was is the scheduling and maybe fewer tournaments, but bigger. So I don't, I don't know. I don't have a perfect answer, but I think some uh, somewhere around the scheduling, and it's going to be more hype from the matches. I think. I think it's too much right now.
0: And then, Graham, you're someone that has to deal on the the event organization side, and and take care of the the other things that go along with the team. So from from that end, what what do you want to to happen in the industry?
2: Yeah, I would echo what Jimmy said a lot. A lot, a lot of it comes down to the whole scheduling, both both you know, sort of daily scheduling. You know, how do we how do we want to uh handle things from a broadcast perspective? But also, you know, not being able to look at the calendar and look nine months down the road and say, Okay, on the on the fourteenth of September we're gonna travel here, we're gonna play this event, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna come back. And knowing that so far in advance that you can actually make plans. Because right now, you know, Jimmy and I sit down and we go, Okay, what's our what's our two month plan? <laughs> and we go, okay, these are the possible events that we're still not confirmed for. These are the days we may have to play qualifiers, these are the days we may have to play all this other stuff. And of course it's great having a, a really nice open ecosystem because it does mean that you know, you can find four other friends, become really good at Counter Strike, and you can make your way to the top if you're good enough. But at the same time, it's also it also causes a lot of complications because you can't, from a professional standpoint, you can't guarantee that you're going to be, you know, what 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 you can do. And also, like for example, on the commercial side, you know, you can't guarantee to your sponsors that you're going to be at ten events this year or you're going to play this and that and this and all these other things and that makes it really hard to generate revenue which ultimately funds everything so you know sort of guaranteed tournament participation right now is is one of the the biggest things that's going to be a bit of a um you know a problem and and you can already see that you know ESL uh, blast flashpoint you know they're all trying to lock down teams into long term contracts to try and alleviate that issue And that's something that's going to sort of continue to play out over the next few years. Um, But it's pretty vital from a business perspective to have that. But at the same time, it's sort of going to encroach on what made esports and and Counter-Strike in this example. So good was the fact that it was so open and there was the, all these different avenues and opportunities. And I think, the kind of potential alienation of maybe either the fan base or the teams or the tournaments uh, or, you know, a combination of everything in trying to find the the optimum solution to that problem is going to be quite interesting for me.
0: And then for for North as a, an organization or for the CSGO team specifically, is there any aims or goals that you're kind of outlining for, for the remainder of 2020 or into 2021? our
1: vision is to come back uh, and play the big arenas uh, on a regular basis and that would mean that you're uh, a top team in the world and that's what we're fighting for to achieve and we don't th- I don't think our work right now is in like uh, like a close future especially now with all the Corona situation going on, but I think we are aiming at building a structure uh, around the team that uh, makes it the best environment for them to evolve to the team that they can be.
0: So, yeah. And then Graham, what about the the organisation in general? I guess.
2: Yeah, so we're we're looking to to establish ourselves as one of the uh, one of the premier organizations in uh, in scandinavia specifically we don't we don't want to just be known as as the that danish football clubs esports team um so we, we've got big goals in terms of sort of growing the fan base and building up a, a solid um you know sort of team of fans you know in specifically scandinavia but also sort of globally to uh, to follow the team and 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 with that you know we want to obviously um you know have better results in in multiple games uh, you know across the three we have now but also um expand into into other other game titles and uh, sort of build out uh you know uh, a stronger business essentially
0: well i've i've definitely learned a lot about what it's like to be to be part of a professional esports team and and obviously the organization of north and and how the competitive csgo scene works so cheers to both of you for for joining me today it's much appreciated
1: yeah thank you for having us ben thanks for having us
0: and do you guys want to do a, a shout out for for north on the socials and maybe where and when your your upcoming events are so the listeners can tune in
1: yeah sure follow the north is here uh i think we had that on all our platforms right we are uh we are
2: we're we're north esports on facebook we are the north is here on twitter i believe we are the north is here on instagram as well but i actually don't have i actually don't have instagram so i
1: actually don't know i don't follow it i I can confirm
2: the instagram one um yeah, and Twitter, so, uh, uh, north.gg for
0: the website you can buy uh, merch from there there you go, we've, we've probably got a few North fans listening in but, but anyone out there without a team, I think we've we've found the team that you should be following so, so go follow them on the socials, go visit the website and, and keep tabs on their progress for the near future um, if you do want any more help with esports and esports betting then head to the esports section of the Pinnacle website and follow at Pinnacle Esports on Twitter thanks for listening and bye for now